listen, let's bring balance to this. Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you, each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Now listen, they're already in captivity. Ezekiel's written when they're in captivity. And he's saying to them, I will judge you, each one according to your ways, the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Listen, for he says in verse 32, God is saying, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. And so the whole issue of, of Judah at that time was, they're in this Babylonian captivity, and they're there for 70 years. And you'll see, in that captivity, they're, they're, they are establishing a new life there. They're establishing because the Babylonian country was allowing them to prosper, allowing them to have business. It wasn't like when they're in Egypt where they were made slaves. Now they're being catered to and, and, and helped along the way. But you see, God was trying to say, even if you become prosperous, you are still not serving me, and I'm still warning you. I'm still warning you. And the, the warning was not heeded very well. As a result, those that eventually come back from Babylon, you can read it in Nehemiah and Ezra, were very few compared to what went in. Many of them stayed there, some of them had businesses, but you see, they were a bound up people separated from God. They come back to hardship. They come back to a country that was destroyed, a city that needed to be rebuilt. They come back to hardship. In Isaiah chapter 3, this is before they ever went into captivity. Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They prayed their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. So this is back before they ever went into captivity. He's, Isaiah is saying, you're already in such a mess. They, they prayed their sins. Listen, in our culture today, we're still doing that. We prayed our sins in the gay praise. We prayed it before the public. We're no different than, why should we be treated in the long, why should we be treated not the same as them? We will be treated that way. This whole purpose of this teaching is trying to get us to turn from what we're doing and say, because what happened to Judah back there and the, taken into captivity, out, uprooted from their nation, uprooted from their farms and their businesses and taken into captivity for 70 years. Lord, if they had repented before that, you wouldn't have had to take them in. However, your sins are like Sodom. Let me tell you from history just in the last few years how God looks on that. August the 29th of 2005, 
New Orleans was hit with the Hurricane Katrina. 1,836 people total died, 1,464. 1,464 of those were in New Orleans. Terrible storm that flooded that city, destroyed it. What were the people in New Orleans getting ready to do? If you go into Google, put in Southern Decadence. When that storm hit, Katrina hit, it was a few days before a pride parade. They call it Southern Decadence. Decadence has to do with destruction. The word means destroyed, to be destroyed. But the pride parade that they had, had planned, where the city had said to them, we give you freedom to do anything you want, total nudity, sex acts, anything you want. God said, I don't think so. And he hit that city with Katrina a few days before, totally wiped out that parade. Apparently a few people tried to celebrate that were still there, but it was nothing compared to what they had planned. I find that very interesting. God takes notice of our disobedience, doesn't he? And then would you believe it, in 2008, almost exactly the same thing happened again. 153 deaths. It wasn't as hard as the last one, but 153. But that's in 2008. Again, it's just before the hurricane hit, just before their gay parade. And again, the gay parade was canceled. Now listen, I look at that and I say, God is not at all pleased with our lifestyle here in our country or in the United States and many other countries. He's not at all pleased. And you say, well, what right does he have to not let us live the way we want to live? The answer is simple. He created us because he wanted to enjoy us and he wanted us to enjoy him. He created us for his pleasure, according to the psalmist. And you see, he makes it so that we can enjoy him. And we've, in our pride, we have said, I can enjoy myself without serving God. Why we have come to that decision, I don't know. In my youth, when I wasn't serving the Lord, my attitude was, I, I can't have fun being a Christian, so I'm going to live in some sin. Even though all the time I attended church, even did things in the church, like working in youth group and stuff, but I wasn't serving the Lord. Because I felt I had to get outside of that in order to enjoy life. And it's nothing but a mockery, a lie of the enemy. Because the enemy has convinced many that we have to get outside of God's shelter, God's home, God's family, in order to enjoy life. But I know now, after 45, 50 years of serving the Lord, I know now that the peace he gives you inside, where I don't need drugs, I don't need alcohol, I don't need anything to prop me up and make me happy, I know now he had something better. And he has something better for you. He wants to build a love on you and care for you as a father, a good father, not like the father so many of you had, but a good father to love on you and care for you and have you sit on his lap, wrap your arms around him, and he'll hug you. That's what he wants. That's why he calls himself a father. He's a father to us. He wants to 
be to us everything and more than what our earthly fathers ever were. And you might say, well, these these hurricanes that hit New Orleans and there's many other hurricanes that have hit our country and the states, tornadoes that have hit here in our country. You say, well, isn't that just nature, just an act of nature that's happening? Listen to what he says to Amos, chapter 3, verse 6. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? The answer to that is yes, he has. You see, when, when things are happening that are called disasters, whether they be forest fires, floods, storms, famines, too much rain, when all that stuff happens, God isn't sitting up in heaven wringing his hands and say, oh dear, now what will we do? He is the one that's behind it. That's why when he was in the boat with the disciples and the storm came up, he could stop it because he was in charge of the storm happening and he was in charge of stopping it. He says, the Lord has called it. And then there's a number of places in the Old and New Testament that tell us clearly that God is a ruler. He in, in charge of what happens with the elements. And whenever things go wrong, he is trying to get our attention. It says in Ezra 8, this is when Ezra is bringing them back from the Babylonian captivity. It says, the gracious God, hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. Job 33, verse 29. God does all these things to a man, twice, even three times. Now we know what Job went through with the terrible sores he had. Even three times to turn back his soul from the pit that the light of life may shine on him. So Job's in his misery and pain. He's saying, listen, I know why this is happening. There's something going on where he's trying to turn us away from where we are in our sin and turn us back to God so that the light of life can shine on us instead of the shadow of death. Again in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15, listen to what Samuel's saying to the people. If you do not obey the Lord, if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now listen, that's true of individuals. That's true of families. That's true of church fellowships. That's true of communities. It's also true of nations. If we don't obey the Lord, if we don't walk in his way, his hand will be against us. Through the Old Testament especially, a number of times when uh, a heathen nation like the Amorites or the Moabites or the Philistines, when they were coming against Israel and Israel was living in disobedience, it says that God chose them. As a matter of fact, he said to us about the Moabites, this is my army. And he talks many times 
about joining with them, becoming our enemy and joining with them because of our disobedience. I'm just telling you what the Word God says. I believe what the Lord wants us to look at at this time is a question about it's really God's judgment in a sense, not his final judgment, but the judgments he might bring um, in order to warn us, in order to try to get our attention, to get us to turn back to him. Uh, you could call it a, a forewarning. Uh, you could call it a number of things, but it's like when you're driving down the road and you see a sign that says, warning, ice on the bridge, it means you need to pay attention to the fact that you're used to driving on dry payment and then all of a sudden you hit some ice. And so that's why in our country we have to pay attention to warnings. So an awful lot of what we're going to talk about is the Lord's warnings and what he's doing and trying to get his church back into the place where it was on the day of Pentecost. So basically my title is, Who's in Charge of the Storm? And so, when we minister from the Old Testament, we have to always remember that 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, says something like this. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan reveling. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And then one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples to us that were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now it's interesting that the snakes were sent by God because they, the people became impatient. They spoke against God and Moses and complained about the food God sent, the manna. Jeremiah 8:17 says, and he said, I will send poison snakes among you, vipers, that cannot be charmed, and they will bite you, declares the Lord. So the first passage I was reading to you from 1 Corinthians is a way back when they were in the wilderness. But now Jeremiah is many years later when he says that he will send poisonous snakes among us and vipers that cannot charm. There's a way down as they were getting prepared, as God is preparing both Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin to go into exile because they had forsaken the Lord. The other 10 tribes have been gone for a number of years. Jeremiah 14, verses 1 to 9, he describes in those, chap, in those verses, pardon me, the, the drought, the famine, and the sword that's going to come against Judah. He was trying to say, this is what's going to happen. This, and I'll, I'll read from verse 10. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet. So the Lord does 
not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Now listen, many people will say, Howard, that's Old Testament. If that's the way God was back then, in the New Testament, he's a God of grace. I need to bring you back to 1 Corinthians 10, what I read right off the bat. These things happened as examples to keep us from doing the same thing in verse 6 and again in verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So what we read in the Old Testament can still apply to today if we do not listen to the Lord, because all the stuff of the Old Testament, it's there in order to warn us and tell us this is the heart of God. This is what he wants from us. And the warnings that I'm going to be reading to you, are, are it's like a moment of, of persecution, a moment of judgment. It's not final judgment until we get into Revelation. That's when he talks about it. But this is a a judgment journey on a certain area, certain people in a small area, something to say to Israel, to the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. This is a warning to you because I could do this to the whole nation with a moment's notice. So I'm warning you with small situations to try to get you to come back and serve me. So Jeremiah 14, the one I just read to you, is where he's starting but there's many more. Verse 11 of Jeremiah 14, Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. They offer burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. What an awful thing for a God of love to say. But he was trying to say to the children of Israel, I'm warning you about what I want to do. I'm, I'm determined to get you to turn back to me. And you won't listen to the word of God. You won't listen to the prophets. You won't uh, uh, listen to things I do in a small scale. So I have to do things in a, a large scale sometimes to get your attention, to bring you back to the place where you would say, oh, what has just happened was not nice. So therefore, we should turn back to the Lord and get his favor so we can live in safety and security. That's what God was after. So situations here with some people, others with circumstances, with weather, with enemies, they, God did things to warn them. But in most cases, they didn't listen. There are some cases where they did, but in this particular one in Jeremiah, they weren't listening. Then Jeremiah in chapter 14, verses 19 to 22, and he's asking, have you rejected Judah? And this is his conclusion to all the verses in the, from there to 22. Do any of the worthless idols of the nations bring rain? God is asking questions here. Do these idols their worship? Do they provide rain for their crops? Do the skies themselves send down showers? No, it is you, O Lord our God, he responds. Therefore, our hope is in you, for you are the one who does all this. So his job is to go to the people and say, 
the things that are happening, the, the droughts that are happening, the famine that's happening, the attacks of the enemy that happen, we have to return to the Lord because the Lord has said he will destroy us if we don't. But you see, people in those days, I think, are like people in our days. It's almost as if, well, I'm enjoying all the garbage I'm in. I'm enjoying the sin I'm in. And so therefore, I'm, I'm just hoping that God won't do this in my lifetime. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah said that when he had done something wrong and God told him what he's going to do. And he said, well, it won't, won't happen in my lifetime. And so we put off repentance. We put off returning to the Lord because we've convinced ourselves we can keep going farther. God's a God of love and he's long-suffering and somewhere along the line um, he's going to change his mind or maybe I'll be dead and gone. It won't matter. I don't care what happens to the people after me, children, grandchildren. It doesn't matter. That's a very selfish but a very common attitude in our culture. Lamentation 37, Jeremiah is speaking to the Lord. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? It is not from the mouth of the most high that both calamities and good things come. Jeremiah is trying to say in this lamentation, he's saying the good and the bad, they all originate from God. The good is because we obey him. The bad is because we have rejected him. That standard is still true today. According to the Bible in the Old Testament and according to the Bible in the New Testament. His hand of love and grace is upon us as we walk in obedience. His hand of adversity, his hand of trouble, his hand of, of death and fear is there if we disobey him and live for ourselves and totally ignore him. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah 21, verse 5, see, a lot, a lot of Christians say, no, no, this isn't the God I've heard about. Listen to what he says in verse 5. I myself will fight against you. Most of you have never, ever considered that God is there against you. But there's many scriptures especially with Israel, where he fought against them because of their sin. And that's when I read that first reading from 1 Corinthians 10. God is saying, learn from what I did back then. Repent of your sin, because just as I brought them into calamity, I brought them under an enemy rule, and they became slaves. I can do it again, because I want you to turn from your sinful ways and come back to me. You might say, well, what right has God got to do that? Well, I'll tell you what right he has. He first of all forms you in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 is clear on that. And he loved you in your mother's womb. And he brought you into this world in, with miracles. Like there's no way a human being with all the scientific equipment we have and the knowledge we have can some way without something from a man called sperm be put into a woman's um, um, womb and out of there in nine months will come a child that's formed beautifully. Formed. Nobody can do that. Science can't do it. No one can do it. God said, I'm doing it and I'm doing it 
so that you can be my child, that I can enjoy you and you can enjoy me. But you see what happens as we grow up, we eventually shake our fist in the face of God and said, regardless of all you've done for me, you've turned food into nutrition for my body, you've given me water to drink, you've caused my body to grow. Nobody can understand that. No one can explain how it's happening, but it just does. Science can't, medical science can't. But nevertheless, I shake my fist in your face, Lord God, and say, I don't want to follow you. That's what so many are doing. I did it for a number of years. And so we are in a place where God is saying, I have a right to claim you as my own because I'm the one that gave you everything, every bit of flesh, blood, everything, hair, skin, muscle, everything about, I gave that to you. I caused it to be formed in your mother's womb. It didn't happen accidentally. It was planned, fearfully and wonderfully made. That word fearfully means respect in Psalm 139. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me read it this way. With great respect, he formed you in your mother's womb. Impossible without God. Impossible. We can't create life. We've said we're going to, but we never have. We can't make something form in the womb without all the stuff that God's already given us, the sperm from a man, the egg in the woman, and all that. It's already there because God made it. We didn't make it. And so we have a God who says, I have formed you, I've poured out my life, and now 2,000 years ago I sent my son and he died to give you freedom from your sin. He took all your sin on the cross. He took all your suffering on the cross. He took that because he loves you. The love in Jesus is the same as the love of the Father because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. It says so in Hebrews. It says so in Colossians. Exact representation. Jesus said to Thomas, the doubting disciple, when he said, I want to see the Father, Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because we, I am like the Father. I, as Marfa, he was the Father. You go back into Isaiah, where it talks about Jesus coming, and he calls Jesus the eternal Father. It was God in man, that's what Emmanuel means, God in man, in a flesh, the flesh is called Jesus. The person inside is God himself. And you see, he did all that, died on the cross, so you can be free, but we still say, I'm still going to do it my way. And you see, he says somewhere, if you maintain your stubborn route and the course that you have determined to take without me, then there will be judgments come on you. There will be times of 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 turmoil and, and disaster if you don't turn back to me. And so it happened in the Old Testament, it's happening in the New Testament. I'll show you scriptures in the New Testament in a few minutes. You see, God's original plan with Israel and now with the church which he wants Israel to become part of. 
He wants everyone to become part. He does not desire that any should perish. And if Israel obeyed him, he would bless them more than any other people. His plan was, I'm, my name is on this nation. As they obey me, I will bless them. And other nations looking in will say, wow, they have a wonderful God. Look at how he's blessed. That was God's plan. It's still the plan for the church today. And if they disobeyed him, they would be cursed more than any other people. Now, the prophets of old, starting with some of the minor prophets, they refer to it as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord they're warning us against is when God is fed up. His anger starts to boil over and he brings judgment. That's the day of the Lord. When you're reading the Old Testament prophets and you see the day of the Lord, he is talking about the day when God says, I've had enough. Revelation talks about, I've had enough. Someday it's happening. But listen, because the Father has appointed a day that nobody knows, not even Jesus, it means he can move that date anywhere he wants depending on whether we come back to him or not. Now, repentance is the key to turning all this. Repentance, Hosea 14.1, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, forgive our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. In other words, we can start thanking you and praising you. So in the Old Testament, it was repentance that turned God from the things that he was saying would happen to them in disaster, turn it back to a blessing. In the New Testament, it's still repentance that will turn us around. Because in Second Chronicles 7, this, if my people, listen, he didn't even say if a nation, if my people who are called by my name, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to ask God to do what David did in Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search my heart, Lord God. Talk to me, Lord God. I want to repent and turn. You need to do that, brothers and sisters. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Listen, humble myself means I'm not going to say I'm going to do it my way any longer. I'm going to say I'm going to do it God's way. I humble myself. I can't do it the right way. God is the right way. I'm going to follow him. Jesus, my example Paul even said that he was an example because he was serving Jesus. So we need to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face. And we must turn from our wicked ways. In other words, your lifestyle is going to change. You might say, well, then I'll get bored. No, you won't. When my life changed, style changed, that's when I begin to experience an inner peace. I don't have to have up and down joys and then disappointments. I have put peace in there. And I enjoy life more than I ever have. Turn from our wicked ways. Then God says, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. What does the land have to do? It has to do with prosperity. He will heal us from our wounds, our hurts. He will bring us into place of his family. But we just don't learn. Luke 21, verse 20, this is Jesus 
speaking, he said, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. In other words, the New Testament what has been written from the Old Testament is going to take place, and it did take place. Jerusalem was not only emptied in three different stages of taking them to the Babylonian captivity, but the temple was destroyed. Anything burnable was destroyed. The walls were torn down. Why? Because they refused to repent. Jesus said, you need to repent and turn back, but they wouldn't. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 26, the second half of verse 9. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. First hand, though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of unrighteousness, they go on doing evil with regard and, not the, and regard not the majesty of the Lord. Okay, summarize that verse. When God is gracious to a nation, they keep going under their sin. When God brings judgments, the people should be listening and watching and repenting. But this is what's happened in our day and age. When disasters have struck, a number of years ago, struck some cities, a city north of here, about 200 miles where I am. And you see, I heard that the following Sunday, the churches were filled with people. What were they looking for? They're looking for an answer. Why did this happen to us? Houses destroyed, people died. And then I heard from some of them that went to church, I asked them specifically, they said the pastor explained it was a natural disaster that had nothing to do with God. And that's nothing but a deceptive lie. It is not the truth. God is in charge of the storms. He always has been. He always will be. He was in charge of the flood when Noah came. He was totally in charge. He never blamed Satan. As a matter of fact, I found out something recently. Satan is only mentioned two or three times in the whole Old Testament. And there's constantly being taken over by their enemies, constantly repenting and coming back, and then being taken over again by an enemy. Why? Because it's God that's doing it, trying to get us to come back to him. He uses Satan as a puppet to do what he allows him to do, that's all. Satan can't do anything without God's permission. Read the first chapter and the second chapter of Job. You can find out for yourself. It's right in there. Listen to what Revelation 16, verse 8 and 9 says. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. We're talking about an angel of the Lord here. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. What more do we need to hear? You can be saved when, they, when it hits you, the disaster, whatever. You die a natural death or you die of a disaster that's hitting your area, you'll go to heaven. 
Listen, what's happening now in the persecuted church, especially in, in companies like Africa and India and China and the Middle East, the persecuted. Listen, the blessing is, it's terrible what's happening. Over 200,000 Christians died last year from being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you one thing. There's 200,000 people in heaven right now that are there prematurely. They have no more pain, no more fear of anything, and they're home free. That's about the only good thing I can say about it. That's the only good thing I can say about abortion, which is bringing curses on our nation. We can't continue to kill God's children in the womb and get away with it. The only good thing is they get to go home before we do. David said that of his little boy that died at birth, the first child he had with Bathsheba. David said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him, knowing he was in heaven. I've said enough. Another teaching, I'll elaborate on the fact that God says any nation, he says it three or four times through the prophets, any nation that turns against me, I will utterly destroy it. I will utter it. That's a promise you won't find in the promise books that you buy in the Christian bookstore. Let's pray together. Father, I've got to know you because you gave me the word of God, give me the Bible. And I've got to know you, and I've found out things about you that I never thought before. I've found out things about you, Lord God, that the preachers never told me, teachers never told me. They wanted to make you look like a real nice, sweet guy that never did anything wrong. And you sit up in heaven, you wring your hands when things go wrong down here, and you complain and say, oh, dear, now what do we do? I didn't understand, Lord that you're a God that's in charge of everything. And I look back on some of the things in my life and I know that you were causing bad things to happen to draw me to you, Lord, and I thank you. You finally got my attention. I'm glad I'm here, Lord. I'm glad that you give me this opportunity to preach Jesus and him crucified and to warn people that unless we take advantage of that crucifixion, that we indeed will perish into a lost eternity. So, Father, you've been gracious to so many. So many people love you in this world, Lord. So many that you've held off judgment on the world. And I thank you, Lord, for everyone. So in the name of Jesus, we rest, Lord God, knowing that your word is true. It is not my word that I've given, Lord. It is your word that I've given. I've just read it. That's all. I've read it to them. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've hit many hearts. You've moved many hearts with this teaching. And I thank you, Lord. My name doesn't have to be on it, Lord. Put your name on it. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm not telling you what I think. I'm not telling you what I've made up. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. 
and how I long that we would learn it in this nation or any nation that's listening and to turn back to God and say, Lord, we have to give up our, our stubborn, prideful ways. We need you. We need a father. I don't care how old you are, man or woman. We need a father, and that father's in heaven, waiting to be a father, a loving, consoling, comforting father to us. But we live in a wicked land, and so much of that wickedness affects me as a Christian who loves the father, and it affects you. That's why we need to see a a nation at least, a church at least, the church of this nation, the church of your nation, to come back to God. If the church comes back, the world starts to be affected by it. That's been proven in the um, revivals that happened in Wales in, in the 1904s and in the Hebrides in the 1940s. It affected the whole community. Talks about Kor in Numbers 26. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them along with Korah, whose followers died when the fire devoured the 250 men. And they, ser this, they served as a warning sign. You see, Korah rebelled against Moses, against God. 250 other priests were supporting him. And the, then Moses said, everybody get back from Korah and his family. Korah's family was swallowed, earthquake opened up, swallowed them. Then the others, the 250 fire come down and burned their, their, their camps, their, their, follow, their people. And God said, that's a warning. What I did back then, I will still do. Now, if you don't think he does it in the New Testament, if you think it's different, there's too many verses in the New Testament. It is contrary to that. I'm going to read just some of them. In Amos chapter 3, verse 6, when a trumpet sounds in the city, listen, when, whether it be a prophet, a, an apostle, a preacher, it doesn't matter. When they give us a warning, that's like the trumpet sound in the city. Do not the people tremble? Well, the answer is no, generally, though. We're so used to um, preachers and evangelists and pastors and teachers that that um, compromise and say, no, no, it's just a, a natural disaster or, or we can't help it because fires burns your house. It's not your fault. It's not God's fault. It just happens. All those things are wrong. It says when disaster comes, in Amos 3, 6, when disaster comes to city, has not the Lord caused it? You say, how can we serve a God that causes stuff like that to happen? Earthquakes where thousands of people sometimes are destroyed tornadoes and stuff where people are how can we serve a God like that I'll tell you how we can serve him he has promised if we obey him he will deeply bless us but if we disobey him he starts warning us with things here and here and here and someday if we don't repent and come back it's going to be in revelation where everything is destroyed and only those that know the Lord and have sacrificed all the, the joys of the flesh and lived in the joy of the Lord instead will be taken home to be with him. But you don't have to be part of the ones that are destroyed. You can be part of the ones that God wants to bless. Amos 4, verse 7. I also withheld rain from you, God said, I withheld. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't 
just nature. God said, I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. In other words, the harvest needed it. And then I sent rain on one, but withheld it from another. In other words, it rained some places, not another. One field had rain, another had none, dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. See, this is what he's doing. Verse 9, listen, many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with bright and mildew. Locusts devoured your fin, your, your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Verse 10 says, I sent plagues among you as I did in Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword. In other words, a lot of the wars were fun. God caused it to try to get us back to him. Along with your captured horses, I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. How clear can I get? God is doing things to try to get us to return to him. He says so in those chapters. Chapter 4 of Amos 7 to 10. And yet we do not hear him. Listen, there's heavy judgment. The Bible says there's heavy judgment coming upon those who call themselves our pastors, our evangelists, who, who excuse away all this stuff when really we need to be saying, listen, every disaster, every hardship, even accidents on the road, car accidents, airplane accidents, everything is God saying to us, will you return to me so I can start blessing you because I hate I hate, I don't like when I have to destroy people or destroy things. Now, if you're saying to yourself, that's just Old Testament. I pulled out something from the Internet the other day. Jeremiah Johnson, a man in the States you might have heard of, good preacher, prophet. And he lists a number of things in the New Testament that are judgments. Because I've heard many people say, oh, God's grace now in the Old Testament is judgment, and God's grace in the New Testament. Listen, I'm just going to give you the scriptures and briefly tell you what it says. John 3, 36, the wrath of God is currently and continually abiding upon all those who reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The word is wrath. Acts 5, 1 to 16. This is Ananias and Sapphira. They were believers, but they were struck down dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. Acts 20, verse 20 to 24, King Herod is struck dead by an angel of the Lord for not giving glory to God. That's God's judgment, New Testament. Romans 1, 18 to 24, the wrath of God, again, the wrath of God is revealed towards humanity by allowing them to reap what they sow. Therefore, God gave them over, read it, God gave them over to something worse. And when they wouldn't repent, he gave them over to something worse. It's in the New Testament. You said, well, what about the grace of God? The grace of God is there to, is to bring us back to salvation. 
to free, blood of Jesus to forgive us, but we have to be a repentant people. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 13, it says, The immoral brother, immoral brother, is judged and handed over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. God said, I'm doing that. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 34, believers are judged and become sick. Some even die for not judging themselves before partaking of the Lord's Supper. 1 Timothy 1.20, there's two men who were handed over to Satan because they were blaspheming. And then finally in Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 2.22. I'm reading this one. Look, I'm throwing her, that's Jezebel, onto a bed of violent illness. Now just a minute. We're not talking about somebody way back in First and Second Kings. We're talking now about the spirit that's in the end time church. A spirit of control, manipulation. It's called a Jezebel spirit. It can be men, it can be women. But he says, this is coming. Those that are controlling, those manipulation to get what they want, using the gospel for selfish means, using congregations for selfish means, for reputation, for financial support, using them beyond what the scripture would allow. I'm throwing her onto a bed of violent illness and those who commit adultery with her into terrible suffering unless they repent of their deeds. Furthermore, I, and this is Jesus, will strike her followers with a deadly disease and then all the churches will know that I'm the one who searches minds and hearts. I will pay each one of you what your deeds deserve. Do you understand? God is saying, if we do not repent of our sins, he is handing us over to something worse. If we don't repent in that level, he'll hand us over to a deeper level and all the way down until men are having sex with men, women with women. It says so in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 and on to the end of the chapter. Jeremiah Johnson says when he gives this list of, of God's judgments, he says, removing the act of wrath and judgment of God from the new covenant cannot be accomplished without serious intellectual dishonesty and an antichrist agenda that, that is fueled by a desire to create and portray a God small God, that is made in our image and not the God of the Scriptures. Don't forget God is the God, same yesterday, today, and forever. He hates sin just as much today as he did in the Old Testament. And he does not hate the people, but he hates the sin that they're involved in. And somewhere along the line, judgment comes across against that sin. And if the people have held on to it and not repented and kept it, they will go into judgment with their sin. God does not want that. He didn't create hell for people. He created for Satan and his angels who knew better than we'll ever know that they should not have done it, but they did it. There's no redemption for them. Them, but they will go into hell fire because they rejected the Lord. He did not want us to be going there.
but we will if we choose to reject him and keep going our own way. He's warning us. Every year we have tornadoes, hurricanes hitting our countries. Every year we have forest fires. Every year. I sometimes wonder how we can ever stand before a God who will say to us, I give you warning after warning after warning, but you still rejected me and would not let me become a loving father to you and pour out to you the blessing of my kingdom. You wanted it your way and you did it your way and therefore you got it your way. Jeremiah 21, when he says, I myself will fight against you. Listen to what he further says there, O house of Jacob, or David. This is what the Lord Almighty administered justice every morning, he says. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who's been robbed, or my wrath will break out and burn like fire. We had forest fires this summer that were, I think, worse than ever before. But burn like fire because of the evil you have done. No one can quench it. I'm against you, Jerusalem. You who live above this valley in the rocky plateau, declares the Lord. You who say, who can come against us? Who can enter our refuge? Listen, I will punish you as your deeds deserve, declares the Lord. I will kindle a fire in your forests that will consume everything around you. Last year, there's a forest fire. I believe it was last year in the, up in the northern Alaska, Yukon, that destroyed more forest than they ever had recorded before. What's God trying to say? I can do this to the whole earth. As a matter of fact, Revelation says he will. There'll be a fire that'll destroy this earth. Why? Because he could not leave us here to live our own lives any longer because we shamed his name before man all over the world. In Romans 2 verse 5, listen to what God says. We're talking New Testament now. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath. You might say, I thought God was a God of love. He is. But we store up wrath by rejecting him. You see, if a husband has a wife that he loves deeply and has sacrificed and has blessed her with everything, but she turns against him, the pain in his heart will turn to anger, and out of that anger comes wrath. And that's what we're doing to the Father. You are storing up wrath against Yourself, storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. It wasn't God's idea to do this. You determined by disobeying him. When his righteous judgments will be revealed, we will know then when we experience the day of God's wrath. Verse 6, God will give to each person according to what he's done. See, his judgment is often on nations, but as individuals we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 7, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory, honor, and mortality, he will give eternal life. 
Verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. I'm not telling you what I've come up with. I'm not telling you what I've made up. And really, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And you can destroy me. You cut me up in little pieces, feed me to the dogs, whatever you want to do. But the Word of God still says what I've been reading. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.